0: You. I am um, the sun's out
1: which yes. is
0: you know a thing <laughs> uh, after, after such a, a long interior winter that we've all had.
1: Buddy, it's your host, Natalia. I'm so, so excited to be talking with actress, writer, director, Priyanga Burford. Uh, Priyanga, do you want to introduce Hello. yourself?
0: Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Priyanga Burford. Um, I am all the things that Natalia just said I was. <laughs> She's not lying. Um, and um, I'm sitting here in my little garden office um, on a very sunny Monday, in, um, in sunny
1: UK. <laughs> so, um, Priyanka, you have been like working, like I'm like, you know, reading all your credits and like watching some of your, I was like, oh, she stays working. And I love that. I just, I love like you like, I love the craft and I love that you're also, um, like very UK based because I think there is maybe maybe a little bit of an idea that's like oh we want to make it to like uh uh, maybe more of a global audience or like branch out into the U.S. but I love that so many so many of the work so much of the work you've done is like so true to like where you're from if that makes sense
0: yeah I know what you mean honestly that wasn't by design though um (laughs) That's not like I didn't sit down one day and make a decision and say to myself, "Right, I'm going to do only UK-based project projects." <laughs> I it's just turned out that way, and you know, a lot of stuff for actors is like that. You know, we we're just sort of bouncing from thing to thing, um, and I'm lucky in that way, I guess, that a lot of stuff I've been able to be at home. For, particularly when you have a family that's that's quite a nice privilege to have um but you know if work comes up in outer mongolia next year and it's a good project i'm up for that also
1: i want to talk about um the show industry first yes. because i started watching it and now i'm a little bit obsessed okay so how did you you know get involved with that project what drew you to it
0: um the, the, my involvement was pretty much the the normal route I um went for a meeting and an audition and then I had a second audition um with the writers and Lena Dunham and um Liz Watson who was one of the uh, producers um and I got the part and then you know it was very interesting researching that part which is Um, something that um, some actors like to do, other actors don't like it so much, but um, just out of my own interest, I I really like doing that stuff. I had a really interesting conversation with a woman who was a a banker for a long time and was in fact one of the first women on a trading floor. Mm. And this was in the late 90s where the world for women in that particular arena was very different to, thankfully, to how it is now, I hope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and she had actually experienced going through the 2008 crash and um, the aftermath of that. So, that whole bit was really interesting. Um, and it was great to be involved in a project at its beginning. Mm. Um, it's lovely to have a hand in creating a role. Um, Because it's really create it's it's a different kind of creativity that you use when you're bringing something to life for the first time. Um, Because it's very, I find it very collaborative, and I love working that way with people. Mm. So you're having conversations with the director and the producers and the writers as well about like who do you want this person to be? This is who I think this person is, and you know you're trying stuff out and maybe something. But choice doesn't work and okay we don't want to take her that way let's go a different way and I really like all of that.
1: So for context for everybody listening you play the president Sarah of Peerpoint um, which is like this big international banking firm. Who did you want her to be and was that different from what they like the writers and producers wanted her to be?
0: Yeah we were pretty much aligned on that she had a very specific um, job title. It was a very specific remit to her job. So the backstory to Sarah was she was brought in, uh, appointed, I should say, by the big, bigger, even bigger wigs at the bank mm. to uh, address the culture, the the kind of machismo. And uh, aggression and very sort of masculine, traditionally masculine orientated stuff that was going on, which led to a pretty toxic culture in the bank. Um, and her job was to um, address that and rectify it. But the really interesting stuff started happening. And I think this might happen to a lot of people who were brought in to do these kind of like... Um, diversity roles for example they become the diversity person at their firm or whatever is that actually when you go in to do that work and you come head to head with like the prevailing culture or the status quo you start finding out actually how much do you want to change the culture in this place (laughs) um and it's it was that really interesting thing of like it's easy to to talk the talk. But actually changing things from the ground up takes the most phenomenal amount of work and will. And that was very, that was starting to become the really interesting thing about this woman is that, okay, so how do I achieve the thing I've been employed to do without the backup, without the resources and without the will behind me to do it? can't do cultural shift without a huge amount of energy and then the choice is well do I do that in an honorable way Mm -hmm. or or do I actually start becoming the thing that I don't like in order to achieve the thing that I need (laughs) that I've been employed to do so do I start getting aggressive and um kind of sharp-elbowed about everything, which is the very thing I'm trying to quash. Um, yeah, sorry.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, all of what you're saying, I think, really comes out in... Um, I haven't finished yet, so it may have changed, full disclosure, but in the second episode, like, there's a scene between you and Gus, and he's mm-hmm. talking about how, you know... Spoiler? Ah, guys, watch it anyway. Um <laughs> Like, you know, the, the after the I won't spoil the episode one because I was shook by that. But you're basically folding the department that he works in into another department because you're like, let's eliminate what's caused people stress. But like he brings up the fact like. You actually need to change the mindset that it's OK to work three nights in a row. Um, And I think what you're saying is so true, and I think it plays out well in that scene because it's like, yes, I want to make this change, but am I actually going about it the right way? It's a lot easier to do this folding business than actually to address that, that cultural mindset shift, and I think you do that very, very well. Thank you. Yeah, I find it, I think, and I think the cool thing about it is, like, I think that's what a lot of companies are actually going through right now. Um, As we talk about, you know, being in the pandemic and mental health and uh, racial issues, it's like, how are we going to effectively change the workplace culture and the workplace mindset? Um, And I think like banking, anything I've ever seen with banking is always like very high stress and very toxic. Also, they do a lot of drugs on this show that I was like, is that what
0: people do? I mean, you do have to ask the question, how do you do three nights straight, you know, without having some kind of external stimulant? Um, How do you work at that rate without that? And then if you set those unrealistic expectations on your workforce and you reward the ones who do that stuff as in um if you if you get rewarded because you get the results after working three nights straight and taking um whatever you need to take to do that, that becomes the culture. So you see what's getting rewarded, so you do what you, you need to do in order to get rewarded and you very quickly spiral into this very toxic, these very toxic work habits um which are kind of inhuman because human beings aren't meant to work like that. We need sleep and rest and stuff like that. So I, I was, you know, it was really interesting to kind of um, think about, one of the things that it really made me think about was how much we expect people to be like machines mm-hmm. um, increasingly. So there's like, there's, there, there might be a sort of lack of understanding of process that people, people don't and, and really shouldn't and maybe they can't very quickly come up with a really um, thought through, absolutely on point response or opinion to things. They need time to think and gather information and stuff like that. But, you know, can you wait that long? Do You have the patience. Um, so it made me think about that. Um, or is it just like, no, get me the results yesterday mm-hmm. or what do you think about this quick, quick? What do you think about this? Have an opinion now. <laughs> and it's like, well, I can't I can't have an opinion about that thing now. I have it's, it's so complicated. You know, there's so many, you know, some of the issues that you were just mentioning, you know, about um, race and about workplace kind of mindset and stuff like that. It, those are complex issues, they're multifaceted, and people need time.
1: But we never, I think the thing is, like, we never fully allow people the time to delve into those things the way that they need to be, and I think we don't, we don't fully understand the amount of time it's going to take to do those things and we try to patch it up with like quick fixes which is like your character being like well we're just going to like fold it in to other yeah. stuff and move people around but like is that that's a quick fix but in the long term is that actually going to benefit anything that was actually Yeah, a I agree with you she, yeah, she does but I think that's
0: because she herself is of an old mindset which is all about productivity and showing okay, you sent me this task. Look, I've done it in record time. Tick Give me a gold star. Mm-hmm. Actually, that is probably more of her motivation. And she's mistaken with that because it's not really doing the thing she's meant to be doing.
1: Doing, it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you bring a lot of layers to this, more than, more than what I was even watching. And I'm like, hmm. Um, but I want, to, I want to back up a bit and, and ask you how you got started in, in acting.
0: Um, A similar route, I suspect, to a lot of people when I hear actors being interviewed started at school with drama classes and getting involved in little plays and stuff like that and just realising that it's the best thing I was doing with my time and I was enjoying it a lot. And people seem to be responding to... Um, things that I was creating um, and roles that I was playing, <clears throat> and then um, I grew up in a I grew up in a fairly traditional South Asian family in terms of attitude to uh, professional work. Mm-hmm. So what was considered a job and what wasn't. Um, so, and acting really wasn't considered a viable career. Um, in my family, it was a great thing. It was honoured in the sense that it was a great thing to do, um, but not for me. For else. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I didn't really think of it as a possibility as a career until my final year at university where I'd studied English. And I'd been down a whole kind of dead-end route um, with what I was trying to do with my life before that. So when I was a teenager, like, I don't know, 17, 18 years old, I was heading down this whole line of studying science and I wanted to work for Med- Médecins Sans Frontières, um, become a doctor and like work in a war zone and do all of that stuff. And I kind of had this massive revelation at this one like parent teacher student kind of meeting about careers and this guy I, I don't know who he was actually but this one sentence he said really kind of went straight to my heart and it was um whatever you're doing don't do it because you're trying to please somebody else this is your life and you please choose something that you really really love to do with your life and I kind of thought hmm And had this epiphany moment of thinking that I am exactly doing what I'm doing to please somebody else. And uh, I really can't carry on like that. So that was a huge walk in the road for me. And um, I changed my mind. I changed what I was doing. Um, And then after university, where I'd also been doing loads of plays and stuff and people's responses had been great. um, I decided to try for drama school. In London um without really thinking about it properly like I I don't know it's just what I thought you needed to do to to Mm. become an actor um and I found out since that of course not everybody follows that route and become (laughs) (laughs) they become very successful actors um so yeah so then I went to drama school and you know since then I've been working I've been lucky enough to be working
1: so how did your parents take it? You know?
0: Oh, really badly. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: really badly. We're <laughs> gonna house alone. Like,
0: Mom, Dad, I'm about to plant a bomb underneath our family and I'm gonna set it off. Yeah, um they weren't they weren't that pleased and you know, to give them their due, the reason why they weren't pleased were, were all, all the, the reasons were completely sensible and based on common sense. Right. At the time. So I don't um begrudge them at all. Um If anything, I think they were being pretty normal parents. They were just looking out for me, Um but they couldn't see a future in it. And fair enough, because, you know, you looked at the TV back then. When was it like? early 90s and you're not seeing people like me on the TV you're not seeing people like me in the cinema no way you're not really seeing people like me in mainstream theatre either so of course my parents were looking at that world and saying what the hell are you doing what do you want to do that for you can't work that environment um so i don't
1: blame them um i think they were being pretty sensible What was the moment that they were like, oh, okay, you can make this work as an actress?
0: It took quite a long time, you know. Um, I think for them, because they're kind of pragmatic in their approach generally to life, it it was when I was like earning enough money to support myself. When I could do that, then it was like, oh, okay, maybe this maybe this will work. Um, but for them, because they weren't attached to theatre or film or TV in any way, they were, they were both like, my dad was a dentist, my mum was a teacher, there was, there was nothing like that in our family. Um, quite things for me, which were quite prestigious, like working for the Royal Shakespeare Company or the National Theatre, stuff like that, which I did, it didn't really hit with them, that because it wasn't in their world. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So it wasn't that where they went, oh, okay, maybe this is a good thing.
1: So was it when you started going on TV and making movies that they were like, oh, okay, that's my daughter?
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. But it was, yeah, a little bit. It was quite good when they could see me on the TV. Um, and they were proud of me then. And then proud when I could support myself financially, they were really proud. They were Because like, they also knew how hard it is to... Um, as any type of artist, be able to make a living.
1: What was the moment that you felt? You were like, okay, this really is going to work out for me. Because, yes, you can have the moment of like, I love this. This is what i meant to do. But what was that particular moment where you were like, this will work? I don't know that I've actually had that moment yet. Mm. <laughs> I know that mm. sounds ridiculous. No, it today. doesn't. It doesn't. Not at all. Because... I don't
0: know that you can ever be sure of anything in this game. You know, it's fickle. And you, the reason you get up in the morning and do this stuff is not, it's not so you can like necessarily pay the rent, but it's not why you become an actor. So you can become rich. I mean, if you're trying to become rich, do something else, you know, um, so feeling like this is going to work this is this is going to be a success I I don't ever feel that way Mm. I always feel like I have to work hard and put effort in and um be present and um
1: yeah I I don't know that I've had that feeling honestly I like that though I think that's totally fine because I think once you become complacent you're not necessarily always putting forth your best work so if each role you're like this could be the last you're like I'm gonna give it all that I can give
0: yeah that's right I I think you're right yeah and also it's a pleasure you know for me um which is not something that everybody gets to feel about their job. Mm. Um, So that feeling of um, this may be the last thing I ever get to do, you know, it's really compelling in terms of like making you be present and enjoying the thing in front of you. Like let's really have a go at this. Let's really, um, let's really go through this process and dive in with both feet and, be involved and be your whole self as a part of it, because who knows when you're going to get to do this again.
1: Mm. Now, before um, you could kind of like fully support yourself, just from Jimmy acting, what were you doing before? Were you like, you know, waiting tables? Were you like working at convenience stores?
0: I was doing a series of um, really uh, tiny like minimum wage paid like temp jobs so I was a receptionist um in various places I remember like being sitting in a warehouse uh stuffing stuffing envelopes with like mail outs mm-hmm. serial mail outs so I did that for a little bit and that was really really boring um what else have I done um I have oh yeah I did th- like um Business training, you know, when you go into workplaces and, like, role play
1: stuff for the staff.
0: um, Oh, yes, I know what you're talking about,
1: like, uh, training days or something for this, like... Right. Okay, yes.
0: Yeah, so I used to do a bit of that, and that was actually quite well paid, and I got to meet people. So, like, I I really liked that job, because it was, you know, it was people-centered.
1: If you weren't acting, what would you be doing?
0: Acting. In whatever I was doing
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: finding a way <laughs> <to be laughs> finding i don't know I'd love to i'd love i mean I'd be writing or I'd be directing I'd be involved in something creative mm-hmm. or some uh, some form of storytelling um somewhere
1: now that you're kind of like you're in you're in the game, obviously what has been the biggest challenge sustaining yourself um well there's always the self-confidence um issue
0: um and the getting over rejection mm-hmm. um, which is a big thing and learning how to take that um takes a long time um And the biggest challenge has been that, has to how to keep yourself uh, happy and creatively challenged in, you know, what at times has been the the long stretches of like unemployment where, and then it's unemployment where you'll go for auditions, you'll go for meetings and you won't get it and then you won't get another one and then you won't get the next one and then you start thinking, oh no, is my agent really thinking, why the heck did I take this person and I was, like offer to represent them and what's wrong with me and all of that. And then you get another rejection or then you get told, oh, you got really close. It was between you and the other person, mm-hmm. but they went mm-hmm. to the other person, all of that and sustaining your level of self-belief through that is very hard.
1: What, what helped you sustain your, your self-belief? Just like believing that you could act, was it family members? Like how did, how did you keep up that confidence?
0: It was It was the network of people around me uh, who gave me reassurance and being in touch with other artists and creative people um, and um, understanding that when you're not there was a I've I've read this book, which a lot of artists read called The Artist's Way by um, Julia Cameron, which is like a 12 step program for blocked artists. Um, and it really had a massive effect on me, that book. And one of the things that um, it taught me was if you're unemployed as an actor, don't, you don't think of yourself as an unemployed actor. You think mm-hmm. of yourself as an artist in development. That's what you are.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it, you stop focusing on the fact of like, I'm an unemployed actor, which is a really harsh way to define yourself. And you start thinking, okay, I'm an artist, I'm a creative, and I'm learning. What am I learning? I'm learning all the time. So let's keep going.
1: mm mm, I like that. So did that help you push to other creative avenues? Because you're also, you know, writing and directing.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely did. Because when you decide to have that different perspective, it means that you... Draw on your other strengths and skills, and what I've found over the years is that most of the people creatives that I meet aren't just creative in one direction mm. you know so a lot of actors that I meet are very accomplished musicians also mm. or a lot of writers that I meet are also um, artists painters and 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 will do that beautifully um so there are many different ways to um, express those creative gifts. And I think if you start to think of yourself more in the round as an artist, it also gives you the opportunity to think of yourself as, as sort of learning the whole time. And if you're on a journey of learning the whole time, it just makes everything just so much more satisfying and it helps you to stay curious. And curiosity is like a massive fuel um, for everyone, but for artists in particular.
1: What was the first thing that you wrote? The
0: first thing that I wrote that got produced and made into a thing was a short film that I co-wrote with um, an actor called David Oyelowo. And we wrote the short film together and that was based on a dream that I'd had, um, which um, we then kind of developed into this little screenplay. And BBC Films picked it up and made it. So that was the first thing where I thought, oh, something's come out of my head and someone outside of my head gets it and likes it and wants to kind of go, you know, go with it. And I found that really encouraging.
1: What about that made you curious? Because you said it, to be curious is to be an artist. So what yeah. about your dream was so curious that you were like, I have to put it on paper and then I have to get it produced?
0: So David came to me and said, look, there's this opportunity at the BBC. Have you got any ideas that we can like put forward um, for it? And I had had this dream before that conversation, like just a couple of nights before, and it had stayed with me, and it and it had stayed with me not just as a story, but as like a like a photograph <clears throat> in my mind. And I don't know. I just went to that place, and I thought, I wonder who those people are in that dream. It's called Graham and Alice, by the way, and it's like um, it's just um, it's like a comedy heist movie <laughs> um, <laughs> about an Elvis impersonator. And um, I thought, OK, let's see who these people are and where this is going and whether we can make this into a, a proper story and structure it a bit and put some, put some boundaries around it and make it a thing. Um, and then what drove me on in terms of curiosity was I didn't know anything about the process of getting something from uh, inside
1: your head mm-hmm. onto a screen. So then that was the next stage. So how did you, did you kind of like search outside of the world that you were already in to kind of learn about writing and directing or were you just on sets and just trying to pick up by osmosis?
0: Well, I was involved in a few plays at their inception. So being, getting involved as an actor in new writing is always a good, really good insight into um, how the writing process takes place. And then I also had an opportunity where I, a bit bit later on after that little short film, I wrote um, a kind of full length pilot for something that I submitted to a scheme that the BBC run called The Writer's Room, where they will take unsolicited scripts and they get read and, you know, you make it through a certain number of rounds. And my script got picked. Um, and they said to me, look, you know, we can see you've got potential as a writer. What do you need? Um, and I had this amazing opportunity to work with a script uh, editor because I said, the thing I don't have as a writer is I don't know about structure. I write from like instinct and heart mm-hmm. and stuff and having read thousands by now of scripts and screenplays that I get as an actor. Um, so I, I worked with this a uh, lovely woman for like six months and learned loads about how you structure a story and put put a thing together in that way um and uh yeah being on sets is the best thing for learning because you're in the middle of it and I just make a point to watch what's going on look at the processes that are happening in front of me you know, ask questions, you know, uh, like talk to crew and, you know, ask them questions about um, what they're doing, chat to them and, you know, just talk to the people you're working with.
1: Now, what was the biggest lesson that you learned on set? Was it like a mistake that you made? And they were like, girl, we don't know if we can keep you. Um, Or or was it something you just like picked up from happening around you? What was the biggest lesson? The biggest lesson I
0: think is, Learn to just fess up when you make a mistake. Don't try and style it out. Just say, "Guys, this is. I'm sorry, that was rubbish. Can we just go again?" Or say, "Say, you know, whatever you haven't done or whatever you have done, just say it." Because I think people are. If you say it, people are forgiving for the most part.
1: Mm, mm. You know? um, So if you get something wrong, just say, "I got that wrong." Sorry. So it's. So I guess what surprised you the most about being in this profession? The balancing act that you have to do as an actor,
0: you have to do, and I mean, this is about the life of an actor, right? So it's not something that drama training or like acting school can teach you. The life of an actor is this incredible balancing act between being incredibly tough and thick skinned in order to survive the industry, Mm -hmm. whilst holding intention at the same time with that, being incredibly vulnerable and sensitive and able to be really open, otherwise you can't do the job. And you have to hold these two things in balance the whole time and be able to switch from one to the other.
1: Do you feel like you've compromised on that in any of your work? Or have you been pretty consistent?
0: No, I don't. It took me a long time to learn how to do that. Do that balancing act—a really long time, because—and I think I tended to be on the side of being probably a bit too sensitive, mm. you know. So my feelings would get hurt, um, probably more than they needed to. Mm. Uh, and it took me a while to kind of think, no, actually, cool. That person was just busy, so they talked to me in a bit of a rude way, but you know. That's not who they are. Or, yes, I didn't get four jobs in a row, but, you know, that's fine. That's okay. Happens to everyone.
1: I think that is hard, like, that not taking things personally in your career and and, and remembering that there's someone on the other side of these decisions and that there's other people involved that you don't necessarily know about who may be getting the job or getting the role or getting this and and remaining confident in your talent because I think that's something that all creatives have to deal with you know thinking that you're amazing for this but you don't know someone else also thinks they're amazing has there Mm -hmm. been a role or a job or something when you were like I'm so perfect for this I know I can get it and then nothing yeah I mean loads
0: (laughs) all the time you know you think you can really do this or I think um you think oh man I could nail that or I could bring something so interesting to, uh, to that table or um and that is just not the way they are seeing it and that's got nothing to do with you it's not anything to do with anything you've done or not done or anything you are or are not just not the way they want to take that particular thing Mm. and that's okay and the brilliant thing about learning to think in that way was it made losing out on auditions so much easier but Mm. also the lead up to going into auditions much easier Mm. because Mm. it enables you to think okay so this is my take on this role So this is how I see this person I'm playing. And I'm going to give you the best possible version of that. Um, But as what I've done as a creative person, I've gone away. I've looked at this, this character. I've thought to myself, okay, these are the things which are important to this person, all the work that you would normally do. And I'm going to walk into the room and I'm going to give you my take. And if my take doesn't align with your take... that's just a difference of opinion that's fine okay it's got nothing to do with me personally you could just do with night not having loads of those things happen in a row so you can actually pay your bills
1: (laughs) that is hard i mean was there like a low point because you talk about paying bills and like creative jobs are usually you know like gig to gig so has there been like a a lull Ever for there you. have been
0: several lulls <laughs> there have been points where the lull is the defining thing, <laughs> so it's no longer defined as a lull <laughs> like like oh okay, so is this my life now um I have to go and find like do something else with with my life absolutely, definitely um yeah, so. <laughs> It has been. I mean, for such a long time, it was gig to gig. And But actually looking back now after like 20 whatever years it is over my career, I realized that what that going from gig to gig was, was actually the most amazing like variety of things I got to do. You know, I've done comedy and I've done drama and I've done plays and radio plays and, you know, all sorts of different things. And it's because I've been going from gig to gig. So um, actually looking back, that has now created this lovely sort of variety of
1: experiences that I've had and I don't regret it. Yeah, I think you get to play like a lot of different types of roles because your character like in the industry is very different from like your character in Avenue 5, which is like. A little quirky, just kind of like says things in the background, which makes me giggle. Yeah, <laughs> is that's, there, it's quite I mean, I mean, can you talk about your experience doing that show for a little bit? Yeah. Of course. Um uh yeah, I mean,
0: the way that Armando Iannucci, who is the showrunner on Avenue Five likes to work is the is my favorite way of working which is he himself and he's got a team of really brilliant comedy writers Mm -hmm. who he's worked Mm -hmm. with for a really long time they write a fantastic script but then he he gets people in who and he he gets actors in and he lets them kind of go nuts with the script So you will rehearse and it will be a truly creative rehearsal process, which in TV is still pretty rare. Um, Mm. You get it in theatre, but TV, usually they don't have the time to do that stuff. But there's quite a bit of improvisational comedy going on. um, And he's worked like that for a long time. And I really enjoy that. So with Avenue 5, I went in for rehearsals um, for those scenes with that character and after the rehearsal day, I got home and I thought I was thinking about her. And there was something about it, it something about the way it was written, where yeah. I thought, oh, I think she's Australian. And it was about the rhythm of her speech. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing about working with somebody like him is I went in on the first day of shooting and said to him, can I try this out? And if it's rubbish, tell me, and I won't do it anymore, obviously, but like, can I just have a go? And he, he was like, go for it. Mm -hmm. Which is a wonderful thing to hear from what you want to hear from a director. Yeah, sure. Try it out. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, we'll, um, we'll try something else. So I did and he liked it. And so we went with it and so that I'm um, sorry, you just like got built from there. So there was a lot of creative freedom, and um, I, I really enjoyed that. And so she's just ended up being this quite aggressive Australian um, finance officer who um, doesn't really care about what happens to those poor people on that spaceship. <laughs> she's kind of making sure that her CV looks fine, so she can get to the next thing.
1: It's like the thing I love about that show is it feels very real. And but like a it's I feel like it's it's making commentary, but it's it also feels like very real. There's some like throwaway lines and I love that you never feel like cuz I also haven't finished watching that yet, but it's like from the first episode you you're like okay, this is obviously well in the future, but you don't really know when cuz everything still kind of feels the same yeah. as it is today. Which I kind of love. It's just kind of like this technology has advanced, but the people haven't. But don't you think that's how we are? Oh, 100%. But that's what I love. Like, I think, I think oftentimes, you know, when you, when we have shows that are like, well in the future, a lot of them are, you know, very like dystopian, like, or it's like we've advanced to some level of something. But I think this is a more true representation um, of what's probably going to happen is that, like, we're going to be the same. The technology is going to be different. But we're going to be the same. Like, you know, Dad is, like, this idiot guy who, like, apparently has all this money and is like, I'm going to, like, make a, a space thing. And, like, people are going to be on there for two months and it'll be fun. It's like a little vacation and the largest yoga in the galaxy. <laughs> like, all of these, like, wild things that is, like, probably totally going to happen a lot sooner than we think. I love, like, some of the little throwaway lines that come out, especially in the first episode, because I think that really sets, like, of course, like Hugh Laurie, (laughs) when he says, (laughs) when they find out that he's actually English, and he's like, American, the American voice makes people more comfortable for some reason. I think that's, like, right now, people love, like, a British accent, and I love that they, like, flip that later. You know what I mean? And your quirkiness comes out so much too like there's just so much scene setting and world setting that I think carries throughout the show and it it kind of reflects on like what we are now but it's like dude this is also what we're gonna be like like give it 30 years we're still gonna be
0: yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm disappointed.
1: <laughs> but it's fun it's fun because it's like a weird like workplace comedy that yeah. deals with like actually very high stakes
0: yeah well, yeah, I mean, lives. Yeah, lives literally. Are at <laughs> lives are at stake, jobs are at stake. Which and, I love. And I, I like the way that different people, um, that it, it shows how different people respond in an, in an absolute crisis, like how different people respond um, to the, the internal struggle they have between becoming utterly selfish mm-hmm. and self-preserving but also kind of wanting to hide that so that everyone still likes them. Um, I really like that struggle in it as well.
1: It's it's delightful. It's very quirky and funny. And I, I, yeah, I can't wait to finish. I think it's, I think it's just, I think it's great. I think it's very Thank smart you. in the way that it's, in the way that it's handling the subject. Cause like, I think it give it gives me like a little like Parks and Rec vibe and also like a little office vibe but the stakes in that show weren't as high um and I love dealing with like crippling anxiety with humor so So (laughs) the show does it perfectly (laughs) so I think I think that's what I, I was like this is life we deal with the worst things with crippling like crippling anxiety we deal with it with humor this is life the stakes are high but like let's also crack some jokes and I, I just very much enjoy that. Um, do you have a favorite type of role you like to play? Cause you can do, you've done so many different types of, of things.
0: Honestly, no, I don't have one. I mean, if there's a general thing that I, I kind of relish, I really look forward to for me, it's, it's having the opportunity to go, Deep with something, and that—that that, I mean, I think sometimes people assume that comedy, for some reason, um, is easy to do. Um, or, or that's why it's weird to me that you don't often see comedy great comedy performances nominated in like the big acting categories in the big like award ceremonies. I've always found that very strange as an actor because comedy is so hard to do. It's a massive ask. You know, it's a real skill. And when you watch people like Hugh Laurie working, when you watch like all the great comic actors, like you mentioned The Office, like Steve Carell and people like that, you try and do what they're doing. It's unbelievably difficult and you need such a gift. Um, But I love anything like that where you you need to demand something of yourself. Um, So that's really what I'm attracted to, what makes me excited.
1: Now you have your upcoming and you're going to be in the new Bond film. What is your character in that going to be like? Can you tell me? Is that a thing? I mean, obviously I'd have to kill you.
0: Um, (laughs) It's it's so funny with these things now, because you get like redacted scripts and all of that stuff. Um, no she is a scientist she's a government scientist that's all I can tell you Natalia
1: (laughs) okay see how unsatisfying is that it's so insane I want to know okay do you get to be in the presence of Daniel Craig uh no
0: although I was
1: just I I love that man so much yeah He's just... Yeah, what a
0: lovely guy. I did meet him very briefly. I met him. He is a lovely guy. Everything you've heard is true.
1: Okay, that makes me... Because, you know, they say, like, never meet your heroes because...
0: Oh, no, he's really... I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic actor and a really lovely person from the kind of short interaction I had with him. And those, and his eyes are genuinely that blue.
1: Really <laughs> <laughs> quite striking now, you're also working on, like, your own projects. Like, you're um, going to be directing The Carer, is that correct? Oh, no, I'm not directing The Carer, I'm okay. in The Carer. You're in we've The carer. Been,
0: Yeah, I'm in The Carer, we've just been shooting that, but I have written and am directing uh, my own short film called Monster Heart um, in the summer, which will be a proof of concept, which we'll then use to make the feature, which I have written.
1: Ooh. So what's the difference between that like you you're gonna do this proof of concept so it's gonna be a short a short something but you're having you still have to tell like a whole story yeah it's been really quite a challenge that um so
0: you have to because primarily the point of a proof of concept is really a fundraising tool Mm. um Mm -hmm. But you still have to tell enough of the story so that people understand what's going on and who who the characters are, but you have to leave it as well so that people want more of these people in this particular situation. so that was that was really challenging, and um, I hope people have to tell me when they see it. I hope I've achieved that. We'll see if people anyone puts their money into it
1: um,
0: And uh, so that was my like lockdown release creative thing that I did. Um, And it's been really satisfying and I'm very excited about putting it together and um, getting all the people on board and working with other artists. I think that's one of the big pleasures of doing something collaborative like filmmaking Mm -hmm. is you get to speak to artists from other disciplines uh, and get into their world for a bit and uh, appreciate what they do. I really like that aspect of it.
1: Now, what do you see next for yourself? Like, where? What do you wanna? What's the goal? The dream? Oh. Well,
0: I'd like to make this feature film, produce, um, direct, and uh, write that. I'd I'd like to produce stuff. I'd like to start um, creating stories, which then get made into film, TV, theater. Um, And, you know, that's pretty close now. I mean, I have a production company and um, we've got little, you know, we've got things that we are pushing forward and developing. Um, And at the moment that, that's exactly what I want to be doing. So I feel really fortunate because I'm I'm doing the thing that I've always wanted to do. And of course, I want to carry on acting um, because I absolutely love it. But there, I have a lot less say because you know I don't know what what's going to come my way. You're always hopeful, but with the other stuff, I get to make the stories, which is fantastic.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. I love that controlling the narrative. I. I like that because I think that's such a key in storytelling. Just like if you can create your, whole, your own world and then put it forth and like have people appreciate that, I think is.
0: Right. And, you know, there's such a world of stories yet to be told
1: mm-hmm. from
0: many different perspectives. Uh, and there's such a rich, <laughs> excuse me, seam of things which are unexplored. Mm hmm. Um, that I cannot wait to get my teeth into to bring to the world.
1: The world, yeah, um, yeah. I love, I love, I absolutely love that, um, Priyanga. The last question I ask all my guests is: How do you define being a woman or womanhood?
0: However you like. Short and That's sweet. I'm into know. it. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. And it came right. Usually the people like, like, oh gosh, I don't know, I don't know so I like this you came right out of the gate I like that a lot um Pinyaga, thank you so much so so much for joining me today I can't tell you how much I appreciate it this was great and amazing um do you have anything that you want to give a shout out to you before we head out um yes I'd like to give a shout out to the Kara
0: short film um which is going to be great um just Uh, that's it really and keep an eye out for my short film called Monster Heart um, and uh, I'll be letting everyone know about that
1: in time Awesome. I'm so excited. Everyone, thank you again for listening. Um, if you'd like to connect with the show, please follow on Instagram and Twitter at PrettyFaceLady3. Go ahead and like us on Facebook at More Than a Pretty Face. Um, if you'd like to connect with me, want to say hi, want to come on the show, know someone to come on the show, please email me at Women at mtapfpodcast.com and talk to you soon. Bye.